For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. The Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas, and also joined by one of our favorite guests who joins us every year around this time to preview the draft, Justin Mello, for the first time uh, that he has joined us from the Draft Network. Because I believe that has happened within the last year, right, Justin? Yeah, just started there in February uh, for for this draft cycle now. And and you've been doing your interview series for them this year, which you've done for, I think, a few different pages. Tell everybody about your interview series and, and what all you do leading up to the draft. Yeah, so a few years ago, uh, you know, decided I wanted to sort of find my niche in the NFL draft market with there being so many so many analysts out there that write scouting reports and do mock drafts and so on. I do all that stuff too. You know, I watch tape on on as many guys as the next analyst does, but trying to find something that, you know, could help me stand out and make me different. Um, I decided to start interviewing players. It really was just an idea in my mind. I didn't know if it was going to work out and, and how it was going to go. And, you know, fast forward, you know, five years into it, and I've interviewed about 500 NFL draft picks. So it's taken me on on quite the journey. And, and this year, doing it for the Draft Network, uh, it's been fun, man. I, I published a ton of interviews there. got a ton of first-round picks, ton of great players who have told me, you know, their stories, their journeys to get to this point. And we've got a lot more on the way. You know, today is April 13th. And, uh, you know, but by draft time, which is April 29th, I've got another 50, about 50 interviews to push. And that's not, that's not, I don't mean total throughout the whole cycle. I mean, from today until the 29th, I got about 50 more interviews to publish. So it's been keeping me busy and uh, I'm I'm just excited about it. And I've got, I I feel like, and I'm not just saying it. I think it's been my best year yet when it comes to the class and the guys that I've got to, uh, you know, to speak with and, and the stories that they've told me, I'm really excited about what we've been able to put together at the draft network this year. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL to read all of these interviews. He joins us every year before the draft, dating back to four years ago when we started the Titan Size podcast. And Justin, to, to make one more comment about your interview series before we hop into some X's and O's and, and some chat about the NFL draft, I remember uh, last year, 2020, during the draft, you know, obviously, you know, everyone knows who Isaiah Wilson is. Everyone knows who Christian Fulton is when guys like that are drafted. But you get into the third, fourth, fifth, and, and beyond, 
and, and even people like me who, you know, I, I cover the NFL but not the draft specifically, I hear names like Darrington Evans and, you know, Chris Jackson. I'm sitting here going, I don't know who this person is. And and, and having that resource of, of your interviews at my disposal is always such a, a big help to be able to read through that before hopping on the conference calls with these guys. And I remember last year we were – you would always send me your interviews so that I would have it, and, and, and that was a big help. So, And I can't imagine, Justin, that I'm the only one that's made that comment to you. Uh, no, you're not. And, and last year, from a, from a Titans perspective, you know, I got a little lucky because I, I had interviewed Isaiah Wilson before the draft. I had done Christian Fulton before the draft. I had done Darrington Evans before the draft. And I had even done Lorel Murchison as well, who I think they took in the fifth round. I did him before the draft. Then I did Chris Jackson. Uh, about two week, about two weeks after the draft, I, I can put my hand up and say that's the one guy that I didn't know uh, in their draft class last year. Um, so, so I had a good year last year when it came when it came to Titans draft picks. I pretty much did them all, and uh, ho- hoping for uh, you know to repeat that this year. But we'll see what happens. Let's hop on into the draft discussion, Matthias. Would you like to start us off with a topic to begin with? Yes, sir. Let's go for it. Um, I'm actually not going to start with uh, Titans Talk, even though we're a Titans podcast. Uh, I kind of want to start this all off with what I think is the biggest story of the draft so far this offseason. That's all these rumors about Mac Jones going to the 49ers at three. Uh, Do you buy into this, Justin? Do you buy into this hype, all these rumors? I personally, I don't see it at all. I don't think Mac is better than Justin Fields in any capacity. And I'm not sure he's even better than, than Trey Lance. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. I don't think you think that either because you have him 48th on your draft board. Um, So like me and a lot of other people, I assume you believe that would be a massive reach. Yeah, I would see I'm at at a bit of a crossroads with this thing here because I do believe where there's smoke, there's fire. And it seems to me there's a little, you know, too much to ignore on the Mac Jones to San Fran front. And the one that got me and, and kind of started changing the way I thought about it, because I, I, I was like you, I go, this is impossible. There's no way this is going to happen. Uh, it was Adam Schefter, I believe, went, went, went on one of his podcasts and talked about it. And when Adam Schefter speaks, you know, you listen. You know what I mean? And that, that, that's the guy, if there's anybody that's plugged in in the NFL, it's Adam Schefter. So when he's talking about it, you have to think there's something to it. With that said, it would still surprise me. I'm still not expecting it. And maybe I'm still naive, but I, I just don't see it. When I look at Kyle Shanahan, I have so much respect for him as a head coach. I have so much respect for him uh, as an offensive mind. I, I think one of the brightest offensive minds in the game, probably in the top three in that area. I, I just have a really difficult time put, you know, putting myself in his shoes and, and, and thinking that, I can't, that, that Kyle Shanahan came away you know, from studying prospects saying Mac Jones is the guy. That's the guy that we're going to trade a bunch of capital for. We like him better than Justin Fields. We like him better than Trey Lance. And look, we could all be missing something here because one of the big things that goes into, into evaluation that, you know, us as, you know, fans and even like me, someone who covers the draft that I don't always get access to is, is attitudes and personalities. So, you know, it's possible that Mac Jones is just a terrific leader that he's brilliant on the whiteboard and he blew Kyle Shanahan away in Zoom meetings. You know, those are things that we don't know at this point, but I still have a hard time uh, picturing him, uh, Kyle Shanahan taking Mac Jones over Justin Fields and even Trey. I'll be honest with you. When the trade first happened, 
my initial reaction was it was Trey Lance. And I still kind of feel that way. I still have an Erkling Trey Lance. As soon as the trade happened, I pulled out my phone. I texted someone in Trey Lance's camp. I said, I hope Trey likes the weather in San Fran this time of year. Because that was my first reaction, and I still think that. So we'll see what happens. Maybe you and I are a bit naive, but uh, I I agree. I still don't think it's going to be Mac Jones. That makes all the sense in the world to me because I've never really understood the hype from Jones. Uh, Somebody I never really understood the hype for. Let's talk about Isaiah Wilson. So I think the big question for Titans fans in this class is going to be, how do we avoid the mistake we made last year? So... In that vein, who are some of the guys you've talked to that you get an impression as people who are just in love with football? Like, I, you don't, I'm not going to give you like a specific number or whatever, but if I say, who are the prospects you've interviewed who love football the most right off the cuff? Like, what names come to your mind when I say that? Yeah, there are a couple, and, and a lot of them are in that first round conversation. You know, guys that stood out to me, uh, a couple of them so far. Uh, with Sam Cosney, the Texas, uh, the tackle from Texas, uh, something about him, you know, this is a guy, I, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read my interview on him, but uh, you know, his parents fled a communist state in search of peace and came to America. So he was raised, you know, you know, again, immigrant parents, you know, raised on the value of hard work. He watched his parents really struggle to make ends meet and, and just straight by and find work. Um, you know, as they arrived in America, a guy who, who, who really just, you know, they instilled that value of hard work in him is what I'm trying to say. And, and during quarantine, this is a guy who, you know, as much as, you know, he was getting his workouts in, getting his football in so much extra time on his hands. What did he do he picked up and went to go drive for Instacart and DoorDash just because he, I got to do something with my life and talking ball with him. He really impressed me. A second one I'll give you is Greg Newsom, the corner out of Northwestern. He, there's a lot of first round hype on him. I personally love him. I do think he's a first round pick and, and talking to him, he just had that attitude that I want a corner to have. He knew his X's and O's at an extremely high level was incredibly confident in his ability. So he's a guy that really impressed me. And we talked for, for such a long time. He loves ball. And, and last but not least, a linebacker who you might've seen John Robinson uh, attend the pro day and strap the pads on and get involved in the workout is Zaven Collins guy from Tulsa, uh, you know, came up in Hominy, Oklahoma. I had never heard of it. T- population of 2,500 was, you know, not really recruited, went to the local high school, uh, you know, was raised by a single mother. Again, just a really difficult upbringing for him in a journey. Again, Tulsa, Tulsa was a D1 school that made him an offer. You know, I mean, nobody wants kids. So you watch the journey of what he's gone through to, to, to be a no, you know, basically a nobody in high school, under-recruited, go to Tulsa and work his way into the first round conversation. For the most part, that doesn't happen unless you love football. So those three guys have really stood out. And truthfully, I'm, I'm not just saying it. I, I, I've had a really good year in terms of the guys that I've spoken with. Even if we were off the record and you asked me for a couple of guys that I didn't love, I, I'd have a hard time coming up with any names. I really do mean that. But those three are three that stuck out to me. And I can keep going. Elijah Molden from Washington gave me that feel uh, and, and a bunch of others. Justin, the Titans have four picks in the top 100 this year and then a fourth-round pick on top of that. And, and that really is... Uh, by today's standards in the NFL, an embarrassment of riches with all of the trades that we see. I think sometimes it is easy, and I fall into this trap too, to say, well, you know, the Titans' biggest need is, let's say, wide receiver. So that needs to be the first-round pick. And then their next biggest need is cornerback. So, So let's have them get that in the second round. The problem with that is 
that's not always where the value is necessarily going to line up. You know, for example, there might not be a receiver that is worth the 22nd pick. So as a result of that, that might become the second round choice. With, with that sort of idea in mind, with those four, the first four rounds, those first five picks, what do you think is the ideal order of positions that the Titans can attack to where you say, you know, I could see the kind of receiver they're looking for being there at maybe 22 and maybe not the corner. I think the corner might might be a better option in, in the second round or something to that effect. That, that's a really good question, and it's, it's a little tough to answer because we don't know for sure how the board is going to fall, but I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, for me, with, with having those four picks in the top 100, I think the four or four of five positions that they need to address, and I think you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that would disagree. You, they need a receiver. They need a corner. Uh, you can make the argument they need a tackle. Uh, they need an edge guy, and they need a tight end. So that's five positions. you got four picks in the top 100. Which four are you going to address, and which one are you going to ignore? Now, that's difficult because, again, we don't know how the board is going to fall. At receiver, I can – you know. I, I can see them put into a spot where maybe there's nobody that there at 22. I've seen a lot of Rashad Bateman uh, hype there. I am a big fan of Rashad Bateman, so I could understand that. But outside of him, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand a lot of hype at you know Elijah Moore at 22. I, I don't think that that's something I can get on board with. Um, you've seen some Terrace Marshall there. I'm not sure that I can get on board with that either. And it's a similar conversation for corner. Uh, I think obviously you know the, the J.C. Horns and the Patrick Sertains. I think they're going to be gone by the time they clock at 22nd. Now, what happens with Caleb Farley, who's very obviously a, a top 20 talent in this draft? Well, how do they feel about his back? What is the medical reveal? And is that a risk that they could feel that they feel that they could take if he's still there? A Greg Newsom, do, do they think he's worthy of, of being the 22nd pick? That's another one I think probably up for debate. When it comes to the offensive tackle front, to kind of answer your question, um, I think there's a lot of depth at offensive tackle. I think there's a lot of depth at receiver too. So that might be something they can address, address later on. Guys like Dylan Raddins. Spencer Brown. These are offensive tackles that I'm a huge fan of. Alex Leatherwood that I, that I think there's a good chance will be available in the second round. And it's similar for the receivers in the second and third round. Guys like Elijah Moore. Guys like even a Rashad Bateman. I don't think it's a lock that he goes in the first round. Guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. Guys like Dwayne Eskridge. Amari Rogers. So I think receiver is the one position and I think this answers your question where I think you can maybe find a lot of value in, in rounds two and three. I want to follow up on the receiver point because I'm sure throughout this we'll, we'll talk much more about the receivers, but I want to ask this question, which the three of us have been discussing for a while. In in replacing Corey Davis, which is essentially what the Titans are being tasked with, we have talked about how beneficial it would be to, instead of finding someone who is an outside receiver or an inside receiver, Finding someone with that versatility, which, as we know these days, is extraordinarily common, for this reason, I, I think it would be very nice to see A.J. Brown playing in the slot more, which he couldn't really do with Adam Humphreys on the team because that was sort of his position and his position alone. So by replacing Davis slash Humphreys, with one of those versatile players, we were talking about how you could get A.J. Brown into that big slot role more, and then you could also kick A.J. Brown back outside where he's had great success and, and put this rookie into the slot. 
And so who are some guys, as we start to look at this receiver class, that fit that mold of can play inside-outside? I don't think there are a ton of them. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't watched a ton of guys and and thought to myself, they can live both inside and outside. Now, I think Rashad Bateman can do it. I think that that would make a lot of sense. You know, he's done it some at Minnesota, and I, I really like his fit in this offense. So he jumps out at me the most when you ask that question. And, and I might sound crazy. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge is another guy that I think could absolutely do it. He's done it at Western Michigan. The thing is, he's not the biggest guy in the class, right? So how you feel about him holding up on the outside, that might be a, a whole different you know, uh, conversation. And last but not least, I think Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC. Again, that's a guy that can come in the second or, or be available still in the second or third round. I think that's a guy that can do it and and I'm a big fan of his in general I don't think we're talking about him enough Uh, you said earlier that when Adam Schefter speaks we listen and I think the same can be said about Mel Jr he's become you know a legend in the NFL draft space for quite a while so whenever he comes out with a mock draft we we pay attention uh he came out with his newest one today and he has the Titans taking Elijah Moore in the first round who we talked about and Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round. While I don't personally love the value of a mostly pure slot guy at 22, I think those two are really good, solid football player. And Samuel at 53 particularly, I think would be a bit of a steal and a really good value. Would that be an acceptable scenario for you? Uh, Or do you have maybe a more ideal two-round start? I agree with the value on Elijah Moore at 22. I don't know that getting a slot, you know, an exclusively a slot receiver there makes a ton of sense. I do love the player though. So you're not going to hear me, um, you know, get, get, get super upset on draft day. If that's, um, you know, the, the route they decide to take with Asante Samuel jr. That that's tough for me to answer because I do really love him. I think he's an excellent player. Um, and, and I do think he- He's going to fit that defense. I think he's a guy that that likes to play man coverage. I do think he can start out outside, um, despite the size limitation. So for me, that you know, two undersized players there in, in first two rounds. But I would say that that's an acceptable scenario because I I do think both of them are tremendous talents. So you talked a little bit about a list of needs that the Titans have going into the draft, and you mentioned five positions. To me, tight end is the most easy to replace position. It's probably the one I would invest the least in, but I also see a pretty big drop off after uh, probably the tight end five in this class, but what sort of, and this may be too big of a jump from what we were talking about earlier, but what, what sort of day three tight ends would you look at that fit the Titan scheme? Because I think Trimble is going to end up going third round, you know, that's, that's, what it seems to look like in all the mock drafts and, you know, take that with a grain of salt, but it looks like if Trimble is gone and let's say Hunter long are all gone, who would you look at in day three? Yeah. I would say the one that really sticks out to me is Kenny Boa from Ole Miss about six, four, 247 pounds. He's an exceptional athlete. Uh, he started his college career out at temple, ended up at Ole Miss, and, uh, and, and he did a lot of tank up the middle of the field. He's an excellent route runner, is a big-time weapon in the passing game. I don't think 
we have seen the full potential of Kenny Yaboa. I think he, he has the, uh, the potential to be a really good pass catcher at the next level. So that's a guy that really excites me on day three because he's an excellent athlete. Now, the, the other reason I would mention him is, is because he's actually not a bad blocker. You know, if they're trying to get a guy on day three that can come in and do a little bit of both, because you know, or develop a guy that can do both, because I don't, I, I think it's difficult for rookie tight ends to hit the ground running. But you look at the scenario that this team is in. You've got a glorified receiver already in Anthony Ferkser. You've got a guy that's a really good run blocker in Jeff Swaim. If you're trying to get a guy that you can come in and, and de- who's you know already does one of them well being, you know, catching passes the way Kenny Yaboa does and has shown promise in the other area being run blocking. Kenny Yaboa is a name that really sticks out to me. You know, you, you mentioned maybe to get away from the draft for just a second that Anthony Ferkser is, is sort of this glorified receiver, which he was coming out of Harvard. He was almost positionless. Where do you stand on the Titans' ability to replace Jonu Smith this season? And is it absolutely necessary for them to find another guy in the draft? Or is this a situation where a combination of the other three tight ends they had last year, assuming they bring Michael Pruitt back eventually, along with Furkser and Jeff Swain, can those guys, who obviously are not as good as John U. Smith, but can they replace as a collective what he did for the offense? I think they can to an extent, but I was a big John U. Smith fan and, and I'm still very concerned about how they replace him because I don't think that Smith got enough credit for what he did in the offense. And, and, and a lot of my colleagues, you know, over at, at Broadway sports have kind of, we kind of share a similar opinion on him. I think one of the biggest assets um, you know, that he brought to the table is that when he's on the field, they don't tip run or pass, right? Because he can do both. He can, he can block in the running game and he's obviously a great pass catcher. So that to me is something that we're not focusing on enough. And I think it's the biggest thing they lost in him, right? Is when Anthony Ferkser is on the field, I think you feel pretty good knowing it's pass. And then when Michael Pruitt and Jeff Swaim are on the field, certainly you can catch some defenses off guard. We've seen Pruitt catch touches in the uh, catch touchdowns in the red zone. We saw Swain do the same thing this past season. But certainly, nobody in their right mind is going to talk about Jeff Swain or talk about Michael Pruitt as being an excellent pass catcher, right? No one's going to say that about those two guys. So that's sort of my biggest concern in replacing Jonu Smith is how predictable do they now become on offense? And this is a league nowadays. Predictability kills. It does not help you. you. Once you become too easy to defend on defense, um, that that that's tough to rebound from. So it'll be very interesting to, to me to see how Todd Downing, being a new offensive coordinator, how he handles this. I wanted to talk a little about probably, well, I don't know if the most polarizing prospect in this draft, but definitely one of the more polarizing prospects. And that's, uh, that's Rondell Moore. Uh, I don't know what you do with it. Like on tape to me, he looks like a borderline first round talent. I think he's electric. He's so dynamic with and without the ball in his hands, but he's five, seven. He was always injured. And those are very problematic questions that, that arise about him. So where would you value him and where do you think teams value him? Because his medical history alone would have him also his size would have him pushed down to like 
the fifth, sixth round or something like that. But his he's so talented that, that it's really tough to gauge where he might go and what he's going to be at the next level. Yeah, Rondale Moore is a, a difficult conversation in this class because, like you just said, at five foot, I mean, you just you just haven't really seen many guys be successful at that size. He was always hurt, as you mentioned. That's not going to make teams feel any better about him, especially at that size, because here we are talking about, you know, Devontae Smith's weight being an issue, about his play style holding up at the next level when he hasn't really been hurt in college. You know, that's us projecting the future with Rondale Moore. Not only is he small, but he has been hurt. Flip side of this is how tempting is he, right? Because he's absolutely electric on tape. I mean, you watch what he did this past season against Minnesota. He was terrific. You go back a year, you watch what he did against Vanderbilt. He was amazing. You watch what he did against Nevada in 2019. He was amazing. So this is such a fun player. When he gets the ball in his hands, he's just so dangerous. And what he makes happen is, is, is so exciting. And then the testing was through the roof. The vertical jump was outrageous, right? He's so incredibly explosive. He's so special with the ball in his hand. So that's he's I would imagine that he's one of the more difficult evaluations for NFL front offices in this draft if I had to make a guess I still think he ends up in the second or third round I know I've seen some people talk about the first round I think that's kind of crazy I can't imagine a team is going to take a five foot seven receiver in the first round then again it only takes one right to fall in love with him and, and 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 make a decision but I can't imagine he ends up in the top 32 but I still think he ends up in round two or three you brought up Devontae Smith and his weight issue. And where I sit on that is sort of a who cares attitude. You brought up the fact that he was never injured at Alabama. You know, we're not talking about, you know, Texas Catholic Christian. You know, we're talking about Alabama, this big SEC school that's playing last year, an all-SEC schedule. And so my thing is, who cares? You know, and, and this goes back to don't draft numbers in terms of height, weight, 40 time, whatever. Draft good football players. And this guy was just unstoppable at the college level. I mean, he was playing in the national championship injured and in one half had 200 receiving yards. I'm, I'm, I'm failing to see the problem here. And I fully agree with you. Um, You know, who had a better college football season in 2020 than Devontae Smith? And that includes quarterbacks. You know, I don't think anybody did. He's, he's, he's every, you know, in terms of on field traits, again, ignoring the measurements, he's everything you want in in a receiver, right? He, He, he gets open at will. He's, his hands are unbelievable. He runs excellent routes. I mean, I have a really hard time poking any holes in his game. I mean, maybe, you know, he's not going to be a, a contested catch guy, but that's such a volatile way to win anyway, truthfully, that I don't put a whole lot of stock into being a contested catch winner. Um, I think if I was going to play devil's advocate and say where the problem lies is that if you and I, you or I draft Devontae Smith and he gets hurt, we're not the ones who have to sell the house. Right, we're not the ones who get fired. So, and that I think is probably the fair counterpoint on the Devonte Smith argument. It's such a big decision to make, especially if you're taking him in the top ten. I guess to an extent, teams would be silly to not pay attention to the weight issue and and not ask that question because again, if you're taking him, it's in the top ten. It's a huge decision. The guy, what sub 175 pounds? It's something we really haven't seen. Now, with that said, I'm in your corner. 
Who cares? Terrific player. You know, I, I, you know, I know some of you guys took a look at my big board. I'm where I have him for a reason. I'm not personally concerned. If he was someone that got hurt a bunch in college, like Rondale Moore did, for example, I think you have full range to ask that question. But I think projecting injuries is such a silly thing to do, especially when it's a guy that hasn't been hurt. Marcus Mariota, not, not to bring up that name, but I thought he was going to go to the NFL and got hurt a whole bunch you know, based on what he did. It was like he was hurt all the time at Oregon, right? So I, it's just a silly game to play because most of the time it's, it's you, you know, you're going to win, you're going to lose, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Well, while we're talking about injuries, yeah, I, don't, and I, I don't... think those are good points. You brought up uh, your big board. I need you to kind of walk me through something. I don't like, and this, this you know, I guess, I guess my personal bias or whatever, I don't like any of the front seven guys from Washington. Like... Onzerike, I can't get into. Tyron Tryon, I always mess it up in my head. It's like some dyslexia I have. But Joe, the edge rusher, I can't get behind. Like I watched him versus. uh, I know I watched him versus BYU, and I watched him versus Washington State. They they played, and I've watched him in a couple of different games, and I just they rotate out so much. And I just I don't get the love for them, but I trust your evaluation. So what am I missing with those guys? And I'm sure it's two completely different things, but I explain to me what I'm missing there. I really like Joe Tryon. I do. Uh, for you know, first of all, the size is terrific. He had eight sacks in 2019. I, I like guys that come out of that Washington defense. Now, not to generalize, but I always find that they're very well coached. They play in a difficult defensive front. They play under one of the best defensive minds in all of college football, in my opinion, in Coach Jimmy Lake. And when I watched Tryon, I thought he did some great things. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have him as a consensus first-round pick like I know some other people do, but I would feel good about taking him in the second round. I think the measurables are there. He's a long guy. He's obviously been productive, again, with the eight sacks in 2019. I think the athleticism is pretty good. I thought he had a pretty good uh, testing wise, uh, you said you said you did watch him against Washington State. Yeah, but it, then like all their offensive linemen look like guards. Like they all look right. like they're like six one and a half, like two ninety. Like that. That's the thing is I see so much it, whenever people put highlights up. It's that Washington State, and I get that. And maybe it's because I watched that first, and I'm like, okay, I want to see this guy. And then I watch, and I'm like, am I just? giving him too much credit against Washington State? Like, I, I don't know what the problem is. I would probably go back if I were you and try to watch the game against Cal, California from 2019. I thought he had a pretty good game there. Did a lot of versatile things. You know, he stood up over the center. He split the middle split the middle a couple times. He lines up on the edge. I think the one thing about him that I like, I think maybe people don't give enough credit for, like everybody likes these sexy edge defenders that have crazy bend and yada yada and look there are other ways to win don't get me wrong i love that too but joe tryon is tough he's athletic he's long and he's a really good run defender and people don't realize how important that is sometimes especially as a rookie that's trying to get on the field he's a good run defender so i think he's going to get on the field early i feel very comfortable with him in the second round i think it'd be a bit of a reach if a team took him in let's say the 20s you know i don't think that would make a lot of sense 
Um, but but moving on to the interior D lineman, I think you asked about right. It was Leve Omuzarike. Uh, again, I, I do like him. I think he's an incredible athlete. Uh, he he as, as a pass rusher, he gets after the quarterback. He's a great run defender. He's another guy that I interviewed who blew me away with his attitude. I really love the way he approaches the game. I loved his personality. Again, I would watch him against Cal. Uh, as well, if you can, because in that game, I thought he was really dominant as a run stopper, but I thought he showed a lot of good things as a pass rusher, too. So if I'm getting a guy, if I'm in a 4-3 front, for example, and I'm going to line him up there at D-tackle in a 4-3, I really like him. I think he fits that defense really well. He moves well. Uh, You know, he he just, there's there's a lot to like about both of them, in my opinion, and I think both of them come off the board in the second round. Yeah, and and I should say, like, I really like the Washington defense in general year in and year out, and maybe because Molden is on the field and he's constantly flying around making plays, I'm like, all right, this these two are supposed to be better. And obviously you can't judge a, you know, 6'1", 330-pound nose tackle versus a slot corner. Like, I, I get that they're going to have different levels of flash to them, but I, I don't know. I was, I was just expecting more pop. But I'll, I'll go back. I guess I need to watch that Cal film especially. Um you brought up something about guys winning without that flashy bend. Talk a little bit about Gregory Russo. Like to me, and I've said that I've yelled about this on Twitter several times, but he looks like Zadarius Smith, like use him like you would use Zadarius Smith where he's a reduced down B, B gap player and you can play him some as like a base edge and like a four, three defense later on in his career. But you should try to like, you should try to, ease him into the NFL as that B gap pass rusher and work on everything else later because he's only like 20 years old. Like like the last time we saw him play football, he was 19 and led the ACC in sacks. And I think was either second in the nation or was first in the either one in sacks. So we've seen him play and people complain about why that won't work at the next level. When I think there's a pretty good example of why that will work on the next level. Can you talk a little bit about what you see when you watch him? Yeah, I like Greg Rousseau, and I don't know why. So you know, he he seems to be the popular prospect to 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 crap on right now, and yeah. everybody wants to discredit him on social media and, and and say their piece. You know, there was a lot made about the testing numbers; they weren't that bad. You know, everyone everyone crapped on the forty at four seven two. I think yeah. it put him in like the the eight point five two range on on the relative athletic score is mock draftable. So I, I don't think he's a bad player. You know, six six two sixty six. Look, one thing every defensive coach in the league will tell you is you can't teach length. And it matters a lot. And, and, and coaches like it more than I think fans realize. Right? Length is so important in today's game. He's unbelievably long. He's so, he's so young, as you said, but he knows how to use that length. One thing I'll say on him that really excited me, uh, when the Titans signed Bud Dupree, I released a piece um, over at Broadway Sports where I interviewed uh, one of his trainers, um, uh, Dr. Rush, Chuck Smith, who's a legendary uh, edge, you know, pass rushing coach. He's coached the best of the best. Really good guy. Gave me a lot of excellent quotes on the Bud Dupree signing. But then him and I just started talking off the record. and We started talking about these pass rushers that he's working with. And, and Greg Rousseau is one of them. And we had a really good conversation about Greg Rousseau. And I've been saying this on a couple of pods that I've come on because it really stuck out to me because you know, sort of how, how, what you said about me, Will, I trust guys who know what they're doing. And I trust Dr. Rush. And I trust, you know, I trust Coach Chuck Smith because he's so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And one thing he told me about Greg is you got to see the guy in person. 
He goes, you get in, you get up in front of this guy in person and you work with him, it'll blow you away. He goes, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as this guy is at the next level, but the first thing that popped in my mind when I started working with him and I saw him in person and I saw the way that his body is put together, I haven't seen anybody like that since Miles Garrett came out. And to me, I mean, what a, what a compliment, right, of the highest order. You tell me you get in front of this guy, and he goes, the way he's built, his, his torso, his base, his arm, everything about him, he goes, it just really looks like Miles Garrett in person. Now, again, he wasn't making comparisons to the play style or the production, so to speak, but I thought that was really interesting. I, I think he's a pretty good athlete on tape, and I like what you said. Kick him out on the edge, kick him inside, you know, on third down, and in pass rushing situations. So I like him. I think he's going to be a good, I think he's going to make a lot of people right now who are, you know, all over social media and, and crapping on him. I think he's going to make a lot of people look stupid. Love it. Absolutely love it. Sorry, my mic wasn't working, but I totally agree about Greg Russo as a, as a university of Miami alumni would absolutely love to have him. And I think he can kind of be like a clowny light type of player because he can play on the interior just as well as he can play on the edge. So I think he'd be um, a really nice piece for the defense. I want to talk, I want to ask you a little bit about the cornerbacks, uh, not necessarily the the big guys like J.C. Horn, Sertan, Asante Samuel Jr. I, I want to ask you maybe some cornerbacks in rounds three and beyond that you think would be fits for the Titans defense? And if you see them going with maybe a pure corner type or would they like someone who can play the inside and outside? So I think that round three is probably too late for the guy that I'm going to mention, but I do want to throw his name out there because I don't think uh, he, he's gotten enough credit throughout this process. And I think Titans fans should warm up to the idea because uh, I have a feeling he's going to be a surprise first round pick potentially is Eric Stokes from Georgia. Um, I mean, you know, I, I did an interview with him recently. I haven't released that yet. And I said this to him. I don't really understand why he's getting much respect because the size box, six feet tall, check. Close to 200 pounds, check. Played at a huge program, check. Was very productive in 2020. Answered the bell about, oh, they say he doesn't have good enough ball skills. He came up with a, a bunch of interceptions this past year, check. Ran a 4.25 in the 40-yard dash at his pro day. Check. And, and people can say all they want. You can counterpoint me and say, oh, you know, these pro day times, everybody's running fast. Eric Stokes was a track star in high school. Eric Stokes came to Georgia and ran track. There's Even if you want to pretend that his that is 40 times a little, uh, you know, a, a little uh, bumped up there, what is it, a 4-3 four, four, flat? A 4-3-1? At the end of the day, it's still an excellent time. So I, I don't get why we're not talking enough about Eric Stokes. The tape is good. He's physical. Suited to play in man coverage. I think that's one thing, again, why Titans fans need to get on board. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get into that, but some of their, I think they've got a plan. I think they want to play more coverage this year, right? The guys that they've brought in sort of uh, insinuates that. So here's a guy that lives on the outside of Georgia. He played on the boundary on an island. He rarely had any help. This is a guy that I really, really like. Wouldn't shock me. Even Titans are able to trade back and move back a little. Wouldn't shock me if they end up with a guy like Eric Stokes. Now, to answer more your question about later rounds, one guy, and I'm probably going to write an article on this. I haven't written it yet, but I've got this idea in my mind. If I want to talk about guys that might make it to day three that are really good scheme fits for this offense, for this defense, sorry, at corner especially, I don't know that there's one that makes more sense to me than Tay Gowett guy that played at UCF, 
uh, opted out of 2020, didn't play in 2019. But you want to talk about guys that lived and died in press coverage? I mean, that's Tay Gowan. He played man out there on the edge. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have any help either. This is a guy that I think really fits what the Titans are trying to achieve. You look at Kevin Johnson, you know, guy that they brought in who's a big, you know, physical guy. And I know that wasn't a popular signing, but you kind of take from that and you get an idea of maybe what they're looking for at the position. It screams Tay Gowan to me. He's unbelievably physical. If you haven't read that interview that I did with him over at the Draft Network, it published a few weeks ago. I highly suggest that you do. And I think you'll come away with the same idea. I think you'll look at him and say, wow, this is a guy that, that I can really see the Titans liking, and I can see him really fitting into their scheme. If we're talking about round two and, and maybe a slot guy, a guy that I think would make a lot of sense is actually one of his teammates. And no, I didn't do that on purpose, but Aaron Robinson, this guy who lived in the slot for UCF, really good, a, a terrific athlete, uh, drives forward on the football. He's very physical. He's very aggressive. Again, he doesn't, ha he doesn't have a ton of size, and that's part of the reason why. I think he'll live in the slot at the next level, uh, but 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 he's a great player. You know the the drive forward, the aggressiveness that he shows, the way he closes on the football is really impressive. And he's created a lot of you know he's created some turnovers uh, because of that. I, I do think he's got to get a little bit better in terms of the ball skills at the next level, but I think he has the traits to do it. And uh, one last name I'll give you on that question that I don't think we're talking about enough, and it's because he hasn't played football in a little while is uh, is Paulson Adebo kid from Stanford. Uh, he's got good size. He played on the outside. Only a two-year starter, unfortunately, due to injuries and, and, and some other factors. But again, a good player that I think maybe recency bias has us forgetting about a little bit because we didn't see him play this past season. And I believe he got banged up in 2019 if, if I'm you know, making sure I'm not crossing my wires there. But Really good. At one point, I'll, I'll never forget, Paulson Adebo was seen as a potential first-round pick. So what happened there? Injuries, opting out, whatever it is, I think he's a guy that's going to be a really good player at the next level. I think he can live on the outside. I think he can play man coverage. May, maybe not as, bit, as, as exciting of an athletic profile as the previous two guys that I just mentioned, but I think he's going to be a really good football player. And if he makes it to round two and three, which he might, I think a team is going to come away really happy and, and, and look smart two, three years from now for making that pick. Justin, I want to talk about what I think is a bit of an epidemic. Yeah, those Stanford guys all kind of lost some shit. He and Walker Little especially stick out as day three slash, you know, late day two type guys that I think are going to be interesting. And, and and who coached them? You know, not not to cut you off there, but who but who coached Paul Sinadibo, the great Dwayne Aquina, right? That's done such terrific work as a DB coach at, at every level. Coach Kenny Vaccaro uh, in college, and he's coached a bunch of others. Uh, coach Michael Griffin, uh, he, he, he talks about Griff a lot, so... Really, really good football coach. One of the best DB coaches in all of football, in my opinion. So uh, this is so, sort of connected. Talking about defensive coaches, is there anybody that since let, – let's pretend that Mike Vrabel is completely egoless and, you know, as big of a stretch as that may be. <laughs> uh, let, let's, let's go ahead and pretend that. And he says, you know what? I clearly can't call a third down defense. I tried with Shane Bowen. We produced historically the worst thing the NFL has ever seen. I'm going to bring in Jim Schwartz to fix that. So let's say third down becomes Jim Schwartz's defense, just, just in terms of the front four. Is there anybody that you think is somebody that's a day three pick and a wide nine? And, and Roche is kind of hovering in that late day two, early day three range. So I, I don't really want to talk about him if we can avoid it. But somebody who's kind of in that pit, like that – 
100th overall pick to where the Titans pick in the fourth round who just screams a guy that you want to let line up in a wide nine, pin his ears back, and come off the edge? Yeah, one guy that I think is, is going to make it to day three, and I'm thinking probably round three or four that excites me, is, is Daylon Hayes. He's an edge out of Notre Dame. He was at the Senior Bowl, uh, measured in about 6'4", 261, 32-inch uh, arms. He was terrific at the Senior Bowl. He was terrific out there. Uh, you know, they, they couldn't block him. And when I, I interviewed him, I interviewed his running mate, um, who I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name in this very second, but the guy that led the team in sacks this past year, um, I believe it was Aid uh, Ogundeji, actually, is I believe the correct pronunciation of it. But uh, when, I, when I interviewed both of those guys, you know, Hayes, you know, it's tough to get super excited about him if you're just a box score watcher. You know, and you kind of pay attention to what he did um, from a numbers perspective. Who was the last edge that came out of Notre Dame that just had eye-popping stats? You know, it, it just doesn't really have. Who's the last guy that had ten plus sacks coming out of Notre Dame for whatever reason? It seemed, and, and I talked to both of them about it, and they just and they said, you know, the, the way that defense is lined up, truthfully, it, it didn't create a lot of opportunity for us to pad our stats and and, and yada yada. But Dalen Hayes is a guy that I really really like because I don't know why he wasn't more productive in college. Because again, I thought he was terrific in Mobile. I, he looked like he can get after the quarterback on a consistent basis. He's got some burst off the edge. He's a good. He's a really really good solid run defender. In that area. So again, when I talk about guys that can get on the field early, you know, you got to be able to stop the run as a rookie if you plan on, on getting on the field. But Dalen Hayes is a guy that I would love to see a, a guy like Jim Schwartz or, or Mike Vrabel or whoever get their hands on on day three and bring him in and let him get after the passer. Another guy I'll give you, because you kind of talked about a guy that you're bringing him in on third down and just letting him pin his ears back and, and get after the QB. If you're doing that because there isn't a whole lot of technical refinement and maybe you don't trust him in, in the run game yet, but he's, but he's an athlete, it's Janarius Robinson out of FSU. I mean, the guy is just you know an 87-inch wingspan, almost 36-inch arms, 6'5", 266. I mean, it looks like he was made in a lab. He's got 11-inch hands, for crying out loud. When you watch him, you often walk away with the question, why wasn't he more productive? He's a four-star recruit. He's got all the talent. He's got all the measurables. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? You know, put together more production. Why didn't he get more sacks at FSU? I think FSU has been a bit of a disaster over the last couple of years. I don't really blame any player that didn't reach their full potential there. We've seen even guys like Cam Akers, who I knew was going to be a better player at the pro level than he was in college. So Janarius Robin, if he makes it to day three, I think he should. But certainly there are teams who are looking at those measurables and just swooning over him and falling in love and thinking about getting their hands on him and trying to mold those tools. But if you're getting, you know, if you're getting a guy like him, that's a guy you bring in on third down, third and obvious passing situation where you know the other team can't run the ball and you just let him try to rely on his athletic tools right now and get after the quarterback. Justin, I want to talk about the the wide receivers just sort of generally. Well, actually, specifically, I, I want to go through each of the ones that are sort of probably going to be in the Titans range. And to do that, I'm just going to go down uh, this list that I have. This isn't necessarily your big board. This is just a list that I think I actually took from the draft network. It's not necessarily in ranking order, but I'm going to go through each of the guys that are probably going to be in the Titans range. And I want you to tell me number one, if you think they're a good fit for the Titans, number two, sort of who this guy is as a player, not a comparison, but, but the type of player they are. Uh, and, and then where you think is the appropriate place in the draft for them to go. Let's start with Bateman. 
this is tough for me because I'm a huge Rashad Bateman fan, you know, and I, and I know some people were disappointed with the measurables. He came in at 5'11 when I think Minnesota had him listed at 6'1. But to me, it's not a huge deal. I think he can still make a living on the outside. I think he can play inside if necessary. The reason I'm such a big fan of his, and I've wrote about this uh, so often this offseason, is that I think he fits what they do on offense. When you look at the type of players they've built their team on, and even guys guys that are no longer there. But when I look at A.J. Brown, I see a big physical guy uh, that's aggressive and, and is tough to deal with after the catch. I look at Derrick Henry, you know, speaks for itself. I look at John New Smith, another guy that's, you know, maybe a little undersized in some areas, but a big physical guy, a freak athlete that they lined up everywhere. And what, what what's the common theme here? Difficult to deal with after the catch. I look at Corey Davis, what, very underrated what he did after the catch. I think all of you will agree here. He hit a couple stiff arms in his time in Tennessee. We saw how aggressive he was after the catch and how good he was with the ball in his hands. I think Rashad Bateman's best asset may be what he does after the catch. So I picture putting him in this Tennessee offense, uh, directly replacing Corey Davis in that role. I see what he does when he gets the ball in his hands. I see how physical he is. I see how aggressive he is. I think he makes a ton of sense. When I look at Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, still relying on that quick play-action passing game, hitting those crossers over the middle, hitting the lance, I think Rashawn Bateman is a perfect fit in this offense. Here's someone that I'm not a huge fan of. I've seen him linked to the Titans some, Kadarius Toney from Florida. The thing with Tony, I mean, how do you not get excited about the, the off, you know, the the traits and the ability and what he does with the ball? And I mean, they they lined him up everywhere, right? He lined up at running back at times. They put him under the wildcat, took the QB off the field. I mean, I mean, if you're gonna, I, I know that this uh, comparison's been made countless times this offseason, but if there is a such thing as a uh, a Tyreek Hill in this draft, then it has to be Kadarius Tony. I don't think that there's a receiver that's more athletic. Uh, that has more natural ability than Kadarius Tony is. He's got pretty good size too, right? A lot of people, when they talk about him for whatever reason, I guess it's because of what he does with the ball in his hands. They bring up Elijah Moore. They bring up Rondale Moore. He's got a couple inches on those guys, right? He's a little bit more well put together uh, yeah. from a size perspective than those guys are. He, you know, he's he's just in just like Tyree Kill. You get the ball in his hands, and he can score every time he touches it. Now, I do have a concern on how he transitions to a traditional role as a receiver, right? Because Florida did everything they could to get the ball in his hands. So is he a Tave Austin, right? Or is he a Tyreek Hill that has transitioned well over into being a traditional receiver? That's the one question I have about him. Then I believe there are some, some, uh, some attitude red flags there as well that have popped up throughout this process. So uh, you'd like to think the Titans are pro- probably going to be a little <laughs> more careful with on that mm-hmm. front this season. Yeah. Wonder why. Um, uh, the the guy that I think intrigues me the most of the receivers in these territory in, in this territory is Terrace Marshall from LSU. Yeah, Terrace Marshall. I mean, he's got terrific size. It's hard not to fall in love uh, with the measurements, right? When you look at uh, Rashad Bateman, we talked about him coming in a hair under six feet. It was disappointing to many. I mean, you look at the athletic profile on Terrace Marshall. He's six two, two oh five. The test at thirty nine inch vert hit a ten uh, broad. Uh, he ran the forty in four point three eight seconds. I mean, at six foot two, two oh five. The times are just ridiculous. He didn't do the agility testing, which I I, I would have loved to see him do the three cone, but he didn't get into that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, enough enough, right? I think he had a great day. You can't question that on tape. I really do like him. You know, I like that he played. Uh, this past season, uh, uh, you know, quite a few games he didn't opt out. I mean, he, he's a very physical route runner. 
He loves to initiate contact with the DBs. He's tough. He's aggressive in that area of the game. I think the Titans will really like that. If they're looking for a guy, you, you talked a little bit about that inside-outside versatility. I mean, with that size, he's someone I think they're going to glue to the outside. I don't think you're going to ask him to come in and play in the slot. But, hey, they need a guy like that. I have no problem with lining up A.J. Brown outside, not asking him to come into the slot, maybe having Josh Reynolds handle some of those duties as he has, and, and just gluing Terrace Marshall to the other side of the field there where Corey Davis was because this is a big guy, and he's tough. He's physical. I, I can't wait to see where he gets drafted because I'll be honest with you, I'm not so sure. I've seen some, you know, early first, uh, some, you know, mid to early first round buzz on him. I don't know that he goes that early. I think maybe I think he's more of a second round pick. That's my personal evaluation on him. But then again, if you're gonna if you're take a guy at 33, and I've always said this, fans generally overrate. You know, just go get your guy. You know, if you think, oh, don't don't say stupid things like. You know, they took him at 22. I thought he would have fit better at, you know, 29th. It, it's nonsense. You go out and get your guy. If a guy's worth a 29th pick, he's probably worth a 22nd pick if he's your guy. Someone that I'm struggling to put my finger on what exactly this guy is. I, I think he's good. I don't know specifically, you know, thinking maybe in terms of a comparison, who exactly he reminds me of or, or, or what in that sense. And that's Diami Brown from North Carolina. Yeah, the thing about Diami Brown, and I asked him about this recently, is that um, very interesting. That North Carolina offense was so fun to play it. And it was so easy to, I mean, everybody that's coming out of this draft was super productive there. Javante Williams was productive. Michael Carter was productive. Daz Newsom was productive. They were all productive. Right. So I think that's kind of the difficult thing when it comes to Diami Brown is don't don't get too carried away with the production because everybody was productive. It's a super friendly offense to play. And yes, he put up a thousand yards, I think, in I think in both 2019 um, and 2020. He's a fun guy. I'm not a comp guy. I'm going to be honest. with you. I've never been a comp guy. I'll, I'll put my hand up and I admit it, I'm not good at them. I think they're stupid. So I, I, I'd be, I, you know, I, I would not be able to sit here and tell you this is exactly who Diami Brown reminds me of because yeah. I don't think any two players are exactly alike. So I'm just going to, I'm not even going to attempt to make a comparison there and make a fool out of myself because I don't believe in them uh, to begin with. But he's a good player. I do think he could fit their all. I think one thing that they would really like about him, and I haven't touched on this with any of the other guys, is again, the big physical guys, A.J. Brown, Cor- I mean, especially Corey Davis, they love to block, right? They're tough out there. They'll, they'll, they'll help Derrick Henry in the running game. You put the tape on Diami Brown, he does really like to block. So that kind of strikes me as the kind of guy that has a profile that they may like. One thing that worries me about him as a prospect, again, playing in that North Carolina offense that was so friendly to play in, is he didn't really run a full route tree. You know, he, he didn't run a whole lot. He had two, three routes that, that he ran there, and they just got the ball in his hand. So um, t- to me, I've seen some top 40 buzz on him. I think that's early for my liking. I don't notice, but on my big board, he's closer to, I think, around 80th overall. So just, just not a guy, I guess. I'm not on the same page as guys that see him in the same vein as. I don't think he's quite as talented as a Rashad Bateman or a Terrace Marshall. He's not in that same vein for me. Last one, we'll skip over Elijah Moore since we've already talked about him a good bit. Uh, This is someone you've mentioned, but we can go in more detail here. Uh, St. Brown, I'm struggling to say the first name correctly, Amonra, Amonra, St. Brown from uh, USC. From USC, yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown. See, Amon Ross. And I've said this on a couple other podcasts. I think we need to talk about him more. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because draft coverage, I feel like, is probably dominated by the East Coast. 
And these Pac-12 guys, I feel like sometimes they fly under the radar. Maybe they come on the TV too late, you know, for us East Coasters or for those of, of us on, on the central time zone. But I like Amon Ross St. Brown. Again, he's another guy that came in a hair uh, undersized compared to what USC. I think USC had him listed at 6'1". I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to look it up, but I can't quite recall uh, what he came in at, at the USC Pro Day. But he's a guy, when I put the tape on, I got very excited about him. First of all, this past year, he had a ton of, he had a ton of production. I think he had something like seven touchdowns in six games. I mean, he was for the games that he was out there, teams couldn't cover him. They just, yes, yeah, yeah, I got it here. He actually came in at 5'11. So unfortunately, he shrunk two inches, just like Rashad Bateman did uh, at some point, and nobody noticed because they had him at 6'1, but he's actually 5'11. But I do really like him on tape. I think he, he understands how to run routes, and that's one thing I like about him. Uh, he's tough. Again, I've, I've talked about they like receivers that are physical. He strikes me as that kind of guy. Um, he understands how to create separation. And I think that's a really important trait to have, as a, especially as a young receiver coming into the league, because it's a, I'll tell you one thing, it's a big step up from corners that you faced in college versus corners that you faced in the NFL. It's a huge step that you're going to see in the league. So it's a huge step up. So I like getting a guy that I think runs good routes and, and sort of understands how to get open because he was always open. You turn the tape on at USC, he was always open. I mean, watch what he did to UCLA this past season. He was absolutely un- incredible. He caught two touchdowns, including a game winner uh, in that game. Watch what he did. Again. You know, uh, wasn't as good against Utah. If you want to watch a game this past year where, you know, he has struggled with drops at time and, and he had that against Utah. I think I, I got him down for two drops. So if you want to watch a game where maybe he wasn't as good and you want to get a fair evaluation, I would say watch UCLA if you want to be blown away and then watch Utah at, at, maybe if you don't want to feel quite as encouraged. Every year there are always, you know, players that you're higher on that, that, you know, you just don't see the appeal with. I think for me, that player is Aziz Ojolari. A lot of people, pretty much everyone has him very high on their boards. I know you have him at 18. I believe, what exactly am I missing here? I think he's a, I think he's a solid player. He, he's a solid run defender. Uh, and he's very quick in terms of attacking offensive tackles through the outside and exploding past them. But I just don't see him with too many trump cards, I guess. And I think he's a little bit of a slow mover uh, laterally. What what exactly am I missing here? May walk me through uh, his potential at, at the next level because I think he's a player that John Robinson is probably going to like. Uh, he usually likes SEC players, and we know they're probably going to be targeting edge uh, pretty early on. Well, how comfortable is John Robinson going back to Georgia? You know, dipping into that well, I think that that's an interesting question that I think is probably worth uh, worth asking, and I do have thoughts on that, but. Uh, I do really like Azizu Jalari. I, I, I love him on tape. You know, earlier I, I alluded to that sexy, bendy rusher that everybody loves. Well, I'm about to, you know, kind of out myself here because I, I do think he's that guy on tape. And that's part of the reason that I really like him. I mean, turn on the tape against Alabama from this per, from this uh, past season. I think it's the first play of the game where he, he gets a huge hit on the quarterback and, and it should have been an interception. Later on in that first quarter, he gets his hands up and, and, and bats down a pass. He's versatile with things he can do. There's one play, I believe, 
believe it's in that same first quarter where he really looks like he's going to drop in coverage. He comes after the quarterback and he and he records a pressure on there, forces a couple throwaways. He does some great things in the run game. Really liked him in that game. Obviously, everybody saw what he did against Cincinnati in his final game at Georgia. I think he had three sacks in that game. It was absolutely ridiculous. To be fair, he did beat up on a backup tackle in that game because the left tackle, who is going to get drafted this year, James Hudson, uh, was ejected for targeting. So some backup, I think it was a German guy, felt horrible for him. He just came in and got beat like a drum by Hujo. I think all three sacks came against uh, that guy once Hudson mm-hmm. got kicked out of the game. But I really do like Ojulari. I think his hands are really good. I think that's one thing people aren't talking, you know, Maybe you have to realize if you're not a huge fan of his. And I was going to say there, and I stumbled over my words not talking about enough, but I don't think that would be accurate to say because his motto throughout this entire draft process has been beat the hands, beat the man. And and, and Justin Graver, my co-host, partner who you know is as titans film room um you know he wrote the review the prospect uh the scouting report on ojulari uh for the uh for uh, broadway sports media and one thing he said about him and, and he dipped into a bunch of 2019 tape i'll be honest I, I don't do a ton of that when a guy has tape from this past season i don't tip it you know i'm watching 300 guys i just don't have the time to dip into what they did two years ago you know if they did something this past year i want to see who they are now but justin you know graver because he doesn't watch a ton of guys he went back and watched ojulari in 2019 and then he watched him in 20 and the biggest thing that stuck out to him i remember talking to him you know he was, he was texting me and saying hey what do you see in this guy? You know, I'm watching all his 2019 games and I just don't see it. What am I missing here? And I said, just wait till you get to 2020. Lo and behold, he gets to 2020. And now he's texting me saying, oh my God, I can't believe how much better he got in 2020. You know, his hands got so much better. And that's the thing. That's his motto. Beat the hands, beat the man. So you watch the tape. He's great with his hands. Quick hand swipes. He's very active. Uh, he's got a great motor. The hand, you know, the club rip, he'll tell you himself, is, is one of his go-tos. I really like him. I, I think he's got the potential to be a, a, a big-time sack artist. I know the size exactly prototypical and I know the testing results I don't, they weren't bad but they weren't great either and it almost feels like that hurts you a bit more in a year like this because everyone's testing great right so it raises more of a bit of a red flag when when you're all testing you know so so and maybe not blowing everything out of the water at these pro days but I still like him I decided to not let that so so showing at the pro day impact my thoughts on him because I love the tape and and I'm standing by that he's 18th on my big board for a reason and he's not moving from there uh, I, I would encourage you to go back and watch some of those games again Cincinnati Alabama even Florida and Auburn. I didn't think he was incredible in those games, but I thought he was good. I did watch him against 2019 against LSU because wanted to see what he did against that sort of competition. We all know what kind of team LSU had in 2019. And again, I came away from that game uh, satisfied with his performance. So big, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I've tried to compare him to a less productive, slightly less athletic Harold Landry, and I love Harold Landry. Like, I think that's the kind of guy you should imagine him to be. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't think he'll necessarily be that. But I think people forget that Harold Landry was a second round pick. Like, and by all means, I, I think he should hire. But the league thought of him as a second round pick, so. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I can't get on board with him as a first round guy necessarily. I, I see the appeal. Somebody that I think Titans fans should be in love with, and I don't know why his name isn't brought up more as like just a guy that you have to take if he's there and you almost want to trade up for him is Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Like to me, he's kind of your fix all for the defense. If you need, if, if you think the Titans need a slot corner, 
great. He can do that. It, you know, not every down, but a pretty good chunk of time. It's like, okay, do you think they need to get better in their run defense at the second level? He can do that. Do you think they need somebody who can bring pressure from different angles? He can do that. Like, I, in my head, I don't know why I see these mock drafts or I see people talking about Cormo. And may, maybe, maybe it's because he never makes it there in mock drafts and people haven't really thought about it. But to me, he's the perfect guy if – Parsons falls and pushes linebacker down to, I don't know, 18, like anywhere where somebody might trade back for like, and try to get more picks and the Titans could trade up. He's the, the only person in this draft class that I think the Titans should trade up for just because I think he fixes so many of the problems on defense. And I don't know why more people, especially with Vicaro gone, that more people aren't just like pounding the table for him. You know, I really love the player. So I'm not going to argue with you too much. Um, he, he's again, he's he's today's defender, right? The sideline to sideline ability, the range, the explosiveness. Um, he, he's almost a poor man's. Um, uh, was it Isaiah Simmons, the guy the Cardinals took last year yeah. in the top ten? He, yeah. right? He's almost a poor man, Isaiah Simmons, right? Because Simmons did a lot of those things for for Clemson, and and he did a little bit of it for Arizona in year one. And 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 sometimes those guys have difficult transitions, though. So, you know, we saw it with Simmons this past year, where he certainly did not hit the ground running. When it comes to Owusu Koromoa, I mean, you talked about him doing things in the slot. You know, yes, he can do it, but he's certainly not going to be your slot corner. I don't think, right? On on a three down basis, that's not the kind of guy he's going to be. Some people say he's a safety. Look, and, and I'm not trying to argue with it because I, I do love the player. But when I think of it from a need perspective, I think you'll agree they need a corner, right? A traditional mm-hmm. corner. They need a receiver. They need a, they need a tackle. Probably they might need a tight end. They 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 need they need more depth at edge. Can they take a versatile linebacker safety type when you're already locked into your starters there? They you know you could you could argue outside of, of course you know you know of you know Derek of course Derek Henry Ryan Tannehill yada yada that at linebacker they're as deep as they're gonna get right with you know and they brought back Jayon Brown so Rashawn Evans Jayon Brown uh, David Long those guys are gonna play. So where does Owusu Koromoa fit in there? Yes, they let Kenny Vaccaro go, but I think they did it because they really like Amani Hooker, right? So where is he going to play? So And you talk about trading up and giving up future capital for him. I think that's a really tough pill to swallow when you're not addressing a direct position of need. Now, I think he can improve their defense, as you said, because I do think he's a very good football player. I, I just, I don't think this is a year where they can afford to trade up, period. And B, certainly not for a guy that doesn't play one of those, you know, five positions that I think we'd all agree that they, they, they need to find in this draft. One last question for you, Justin, as we hit the end of this hour. Let's look back a little bit because the Titans 2020 draft class in terms of the rookie year output was not good. Uh, the Titans did not get really anything from that draft class. We know, you know, the book's already been written about Isaiah Wilson. But as for the rest of them, the Christian Fultons of the world, the Darrington Evanses of the world, Laurel Murchison, guys like that, who is someone that you think can, in 2021, have a rebound and and make me, who's someone who's very skeptical of this rookie class, especially after seeing its ringleader, who the Titans took in the first round, Who's someone from that class that we're going to look at, you know, six months from now or, or eight months from now, however long it is, and say, 
All right. It was great to see that guy really rebound after a pretty crappy rookie season. Yeah, I think both Christian Fulton and Darrington Evans, again, being the second and third round picks, obviously they have the best chance of doing that. But another reason I think both of them, uh, and, and I'm a little biased here because I was incredibly high on both players coming out in the draft. I, I, I have a clip that circulated Twitter last year of me talking about, and not to pat myself on the back, but Titans Film Room tweeted this out for me, of me talking about Darrington Evans for about three minutes on my podcast, saying how badly I wanted the Titans to take him. I thought he was the perfect compliment to Derrick Henry. So I think, and Christian Fulton, how do you think they feel about Christian Fulton when they moved on from both Adoree Jackson uh, and, and Malcolm Butler? Christian Fulton's going to have every opportunity in the world to establish himself as maybe the best corner on the roster this year. Now, don't get me wrong. We haven't seen him do it, right? He was banged up last year, but I think he's an incredibly talented player. And I think if he had a chance, I think he got a bit of a raw deal last year, whether it was injuries, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, being with, with mini camp and rookie OTA, all, all TAs, all that stuff. He got a bit of a raw deal. It just didn't work out for him, but I think he's going to have a bounce back here. I think he's going to be a really good corner for them this year. When I look at Darrington Evans, Derrick Henry's not getting younger. He's coming off another year in which the workload was tremendously heavy, a 2000 yard season. Not to say that they're going to start, you know, putting him on the sideline, but I don't think it would hurt to give Derrick Henry a breather once in a while. What Was it the Detroit game? And one of you will probably remember where Darrington yeah. Evans, unfortunately, was the one game where he really got to play, and he looked great while doing it. Yeah, because so they, Derrick- they beat the Daylights out of Detroit. So they, got of course, and it was the Detroit the Lions, right? So let's take the mm-hmm. competition into consideration. But those are the traits that I saw at App State. That's what I thought made him worthy of a top 100 draft pick. And I had him top 100 on my board, and I applauded the pick like no other uh, when they made it. So I think he's going to come in this year. I think he's going to do it. Hopefully he stays healthy. That's the main thing with him. And same thing with Fulton. They just weren't healthy last year. I think we would be looking at this draft class and smiling a bit more if those two guys were healthy. But they got a huge chance in 2021. Because one thing I'll say about Evans is not only is he going to spell Derrick Henry, I would hope, a bit more in the running game. But think of all the targets in the passing game that they've lost outright to Corey Davis and John U. Smith leaving. Darrington Evans is a terrific catcher of the football. He did a little bit of that again in that Detroit game where he really stood out. There are so many targets to go around. A rookie, a combination of a rookie and Josh Reynolds can only take so much of them. So I would love to see Darrington Evans get more involved in the passing game, get more touches, because he's got an exciting skill set. So things may be looking gloomy and grim now because of the Isaiah Wilson book is is closed, as you said. But I do think that Christian Fulton, um, uh, Christian Fulton and Darrington Evans and, and, and are going to have big years. And to quickly touch on the other guys, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious because if Daquan Jones again, I've talked about opportunity. If Daquan Jones doesn't get re-signed, then I think they should re-sign Daquan Jones. By the way. Um, Who's going who's gonna to take those snaps? Right now, you'd have to think it's a bit of a battle between two guys that were a part of the rookie class last year. Laurel Murchison, who was a draft pick, and T.R. Tart, who was a UDFA. Yes, they didn't use a pick on him, but he's still you know, kind of part of that draft class, right? So huge opportunity for either T.R. Tart or Laurel Murchison. I see that right now as a direct head-to-head battle entering training camp. As the roster stands right now, we have to replace some snaps there with Daquan Jones no longer in the picture. Uh, Jack Crawford is no longer in the picture. Yes, they signed Dina Kowatri, of course. But there is an opportunity for either Laurel Murchison or T.R. Tart to play big-time snaps in 2021. Can one of them take advantage of that and seize that opportunity? That'll be, that'll be interesting to watch. Now, they could re-sign Daquan Jones tomorrow, and that opportunity could go away a little bit. 
But as of now, uh, you know that those are two other guys I would say keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on the Darrington Evans uh, discussion. I think he's got a chance to be a really special player. Justin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's always a thrill to have you on. And this year, I don't know why we've never done this before, let's try to do this again after the draft so we can talk more specifically about some guys we know are going to be wearing the navy blue jerseys. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I'd be happy to come on once again and, and talk about the guys that they selected and, and maybe talk a little about the UDFA class uh, that they bring in as well. So uh, potentially, the, you know, the guys that they're they going to draft are guys that I've spoken with and, and, and gotten to know a little bit and have compiled some pretty good scouting reports on. So I'd be happy to, to, to join you guys once again. And, and I guess talk specific, we'll no longer be speculating yeah. right, what they're going to do. We'll know what they have done and we'll just dive right into, that, into those guys. Again, you can follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can read his interview series at thedraftnetwork.com. You can read his other draft coverage at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Justin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure was all mine as always, guys. I do want to have a quick conversation before we do stop the nonsense about Darrington Evans because Justin was just talking about him. I talked about him before we started recording about how, like I said, I think he's got a really good chance to be a special player, and I've got a really fun story about him coming out next week that's unrelated to football. But um, the thing about Darrington Evans is you got to use him. He's not going to do anything for you. He's not going to replace Jonu Smith and Corey Davis if he's on the bench because you're worried about his pass protection. And I don't think John Robinson drafted Darrington Evans because he was super fired up about his pass protection. You draft a guy like that to catch passes and run the football. So why don't you just let him do that? Yeah, and I mean, McNichols was kind of efficient with his touches last year, but he's just not dynamic. He's not an electric exactly. type of guy who can take one to the house, you know, or, or break off a 20, 30, 40 yard gain. Evans can, and yeah, you might be sacrificing maybe a sack every now and then, but I mean, how, how bad can he possibly be? And especially going in his second year, he already has gotten uh, enough reps in, in training camp and, and in some, and in some games throughout the regular season. So yeah, I mean, I'm expecting, I'm not expecting him to, to be a huge factor on the offense and for him to, to take off in a second season, but I'm expecting him to contribute a lot more than he did uh, his rookie season. And yeah, I just want to see them use him uh, in a variety of ways. And I think just giving him McNichols his touches is, is enough. Uh, and I think he warrants, warrants at least, you know, six to eight per game. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not going to break Derrick Henry out of a rhythm to give him eight touches, ten touches in creative ways, especially when you're trying to place two two starting receivers. Like, there's ways to get him the ball where it doesn't feel like you're manufacturing things or forcing forcing things into his hand. So you can have him line up in the slot, which he did at App State, and you can have him run in jet motion. You you can fake off that. You can use the Derrick Henry wildcat wildcat package. Like, there's a bunch of ways you can get him the ball. And as much as I don't like the idea of putting somebody so small in pass protection when I really just think that this entire offense actually runs through Ryan Tannehill, and we, we can talk about that some this offseason, but yeah. I, I just – that excuse is all right to a certain extent. I get why that should make 
your third best running back play 15 snaps a game. But that guy shouldn't play all the third down snaps because then you get into a Deion Lewis situation where you know as soon as that guy comes onto the field, it's a pass, and they're just going to blitz him, and then you're back to square one. Like The whole thing with getting a versatile running back like Evans was you get him so that it continues this, you know, are they going to run it, are they going to throw it, and you don't tip your hand because that's what was killing the offense when it was slowed down in 2019. But even if, you know, Darrington Evans is one-dimensional, the thing about Deion Lewis, especially his second year with the Titans, and we can say this because he's blocked our podcast on Twitter and, and me on Twitter, is he wasn't good and, and no one really cared if he was out there, was Darrington Evans with his speed and his ability, I'm kind of freaked out if he's out there, even if it's, you know, third and eight and it's an obvious passing situation, I'm still really worried about him. I do want to say one other thing about the draft. I wanted to bring this up with when Justin was on, but this is more of a you know, rant than anything else. And I think I've mentioned this before, but it feels like every year, right before the draft, what happens is, and it'll happen in about a week, it's like clockwork, kind of April, uh, April 21st, or around that date it'll happen, where, oh, such and such player has this bizarre medical malformality injury thing you know well he's not hurt now but they said his knee could 10 years from now be and then everyone freaks out and that player starts dropping down the mock drafts we saw it with Jonathan Allen that that's the one that comes to mind uh but it happens every year why do we keep letting this happen because when do we ever years down the line be like I remember 10 years ago when we told you not to draft this guy because of this weird medical thing, what's well, finally popped up. It, it That doesn't happen. So why do we always buy into that? It's going to happen a week from now. We'll be watching. It's going to happen. It does this- seem to happen every year. I feel like every year we always hear that someone has like a bone-on-bone exactly. knee issue. There's always one. Uh, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard one yet. Uh, I don't know if there has been any this year? I, I feel like we've heard more that Jaleels has no work ethic, which is classic. I mean, it's just racism, honestly. We see it. <laughs> we see that every year, yeah. too. But it... it. Oh, man, my internet. We got you now. Do you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah we're good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's really hard to tune out a lot of what we hear because we get our information that way but it's just we need this draft to get here because every single year it's the same and it's always like the few weeks leading up to the draft and we start to hear absurd things and i'm just ready for the draft to get here already it's got to be caleb farley like it's going to be caleb farley or uh jalen phillips like they're going to get the uh, well, they got cleared in Indianapolis, but two teams actually took him off their board because they're afraid yeah. of his. That, that's what it's going to. It's like they've medically red flagged him and they won't draft him. And then the two teams are like Jacksonville and New <laughs> England, like the worst teams at drafting. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they're terrible <laughs> at that. And then it's like, you know, we never find that out, but, you know, or it'll come out in a book like 10 years from now. But yeah, it's that we do always see that, and then it's more like, oh wow, maybe Harold Landry's ankle isn't seriously injured, and he should have been a first round pick. Like it's that always one, one of those things. Harold Landry was one. 
Yeah, and that was a great rumor by whoever may have started it and then subsequently drafted him in the second round. So <laughs> hope, hopefully uh, that guy does it again with some other good prospects. All right, it's time for Stop the Nonsense. Who would like to get us started? I'll start with mine because I'm not sure how much you want to jump in on this. So today, Is this the Eddie, Eddie George, George thing? Got, yeah, so Eddie George got officially hired to TSU. Great. I, I, I think that's good for – Good for the school, cool for Eddie George. I love all that. The, where this comes in is Dallas tweeted out, and they were like, they basically were like, yeah, that's our Eddie George, except they said his name wrong the first time. Uh, Eddie James, I think is what they called him, or so, something like that. And so it's they deleted the tweet, and they retweeted it or whatever. But they were like, former Dallas player uh, doing a great job. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, I – here now here's where this takes a twist i don't mind that like nobody is looking at p- pictures of eddie george and like wow the great dallas running back like everybody knows who eddie george is yeah like i think that dallas saw a friend tried to jump on it i've got i've got no no problem with that uh but i i tweeted out i quote tweeted it and i said i'm a thousand this is a thousand percent or a hundred percent more reasonable than texans fans who want to wear the oilers colors yeah and i i stand by that so i agree with you i when i when i yeah. commented that we would talk about it tonight i wasn't like debating <laughs> i think Good. it's it's patently absurd um Good. not necessarily the tweet i mean granted you don't see the titans being like Titans legend Andre Johnson now Hall of Fame eligible. Like, I mean, you know, it's just. A I, give it time. I promise they'll put well, out a picture of him. Well, catch yeah. a touchdown. Well, I mean, when he gets yeah, in the like, Hall of Fame, sure. But and I, Nate Bain, I, I don't know if he did or if he was there or not. But when Randy Moss got elect, got uh, inaugurated to the Hall of Fame, I don't think Nate Bain was there yet. But it would have been hilarious if the Titans put out like a montage of like yeah. all his plays. So his like two. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like just him running routes, but not ever getting targeted. Like, or like it would be like a throwaway. Like, now, I think that would be super funny. Well, the two things that get me obviously, I, I hadn't seen the tweet with calling him Eddie James, and I'm looking at that now, and <laughs> this is just bizarre. But also, they they referred to him as a Cowboys legend. That's what gets me. Yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, he did play with the Cowboys, and he is a legend. But <laughs> he is not he's not Cowboys a Cowboys legend. legend. So as long as there's no like apostrophe in there, like I'm I'm fine with it. Like as long as it's not a possessive, then that's cool. But uh, you know my my hot my hot take or you know my stop the nonsense is more just like don't be mad at this, but then not really care when the Texans are like we should get to wear those Oilers uniforms because it's really our history. Because I hate those people. Uh my stop the nonsense is pretty simple. And this has been a thing with me for years, but I saw it happen again today, and it just reminded me of it. I don't understand why people wear uh, paraphernalia from a college that they didn't go to. I don't get it. Maybe if you're a kid, but if you're 25 and you went to, uh, uh, you know, you went to TSU, just because we're talking about that, and you're wearing a University of Tennessee sweatshirt, I think that's weird. Yeah, I thought you were going to say uh, who wear like professional teams paraphernalia or like because i was like uh no. me and matias are wearing that right now <laughs> I, was like, no. I was like be very careful <laughs> but, yeah because i was like you're like i've seen this some today but hey you know people that don't play for sports teams that wear those stuff it's like okay 
but yeah, like I think it's weird, especially when you see t- people who go to like Vanderbilt who wear Tennessee stuff. Like, because I know people who went to other SEC schools and then they wear Tennessee stuff, or they went to it's, Tennessee it's and they, weird st- to they me. yeah, they rep like Missouri, and I'm like, you grew up closer to Missouri. Why didn't you just go to Missouri? It's, like, it's, it's one thing if you're a kid and it's like a sports thing. Yeah, and and also, and this is a, a related conversation. People rooting for schools they didn't go to. So like, I'm an Alabama fan. Where'd you go to to college? Western Kentucky. Like what? I I, I don't I don't know. I, I just think it's it's a little weird. <laughs> I've seen both of those teams play, and you could argue that Alabama football plays a different sport than Western Kentucky yeah, football. That's does. true. <laughs> like, so I guess I get it, but yeah, like it is weird to me. I'm like, you had that choice. Like you could have been on that team. You can't. I don't. I don't but get like, it. My alma mater's Belmont University, and you're not going to see me walking around wearing a Vanderbilt T-shirt because that's just it, it, it's. I think it's weird. Uh, you might see me wearing a Belmont T-shirt, but. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't be caught dead in a Gators or FSU. Or like Florida Atlantic even, you know, just something weird. Yeah, it would, it would, it would look random. People would look (laughs) at me weird. (laughs) Yeah. They just know. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'll go, uh, I'll go next for my stuff. The nonsense. It's, uh, so Julian Edelman retired. Uh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you all saw the video, and of course, th- th- this debate has been going on for a while. Actually, since the Super the, Bowl is since Julian the Super Bowl. It, it was a Super Bowl, right? That's what that, it was. That they won. It's, that they won, yeah, because he made he made that amazing he made that amazing catch. Well, no, no it, it's been happening the since the, the one that he won Super Bowl MVP. That's when it really kicked up. I remember. Oh, that's what it he was. won Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, what's disgusting. I can't, I can't even remember what I'll Super Bowl. This, I'll I don't pull know. Up the stats. <laughs> Let's see. It, it was it the uh, surely it wasn't. It was versus the one Rams. The Falcons. It was right. Run against the Rams. Oh, versus Rams. That's right. Because they were ten to three. What? The most forgettable yeah, Super Bowl of all awful. time. Ten, yeah, ten, one of the McCordies. Ten catches, one hundred forty-one yards. Okay. Well, good. He didn't even catch a touchdown. I don't. Uh, it doesn't say that here. I think Gronk caught the only touchdown. Yeah, it was a really low scoring that. game. Yeah, it's terrible and boring. And they should have given the MVP to Jared Goff for helping the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let me talk about my actual stop the nonsense. So people are still debating this: is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer thing? And two high-profile media football people are saying that he is a Hall of Famer. One of them is Matt Miller, who we've talked about extensively on this podcast. He says his impact in the playoffs was undeniable, plus he had 11 years of basic, basically being Brady's go-to wide receiver. Oh, that's not true, but anyway. And then the other one was Adam Rank, who says, yes, I would put Julian Edelman in the Hall of Fame. Postseason matters. Of course it does. But the regular season matters also. And also Adam Rank was the guy who said the times were going three and 13 and then they made the AFC championship game. But anyway, I don't understand that postseason matters thing. Yes, it does. And it should factor into a player's hall of fame candidacy, but so should his regular season performance yeah. and his regular season performance absolutely sucks. 
He had three years where he actually went over a thousand receiving yards. He never caught more than seven touchdowns. He caught thirty six touchdowns in a hundred in one hundred thirty seven games. Like that's awful. That's terrible. Those are like uh, backup tight end numbers. It's honestly really bad, mm. and I just don't see any merit to putting a guy like this in the Hall of Fame over. I think someone had a comparison with him and Demarius Thomas, and Demarius Thomas's stats just blow him out Much of the better. water. I understand Demarius Thomas didn't win a Super Bowl, but put Demarius yeah, Thomas in. Oh yeah, he did win the Super Bowl, and I bet you Demarius Thomas isn't going to make the suit. Isn't going to make the Hall of Fame. And it's it's just it's just it doesn't make any sense. And if you just put some of these guys that are borderline Hall of Fame receivers and they don't make it, put them into Edelman's position, they win the same amount of Super Bowls and they outproduce him every single time. Because Edelman, he was good. He was a good possession receiver, but he was never great and his stats don't show that he was ever that amazing. The best comparison I've seen was to Heinz Ward who's been Hall of Fame eligible since, I believe, 2016. It is not in yet. And yeah. Heinz Ward, in terms of his his Super Bowls are on par with Edelman, and the production is, of course, just exponentially better. I would say that, it, and I was looking this up just to make sure, I would put Emmanuel Sanders in there before I would put um, Edelman. Like, <laughs> just in terms of like a guy who's done it with, I mean, I think he had 1,000 yards with, um, Tim Tebow? No, he wasn't there yet when Tebow was well, there. Okay, he was he was in Pittsburgh before. Yeah. Um, well, okay, then I think he won a championship in Pittsburgh. Mm, again, that maybe he went just to the Super of that Bowl. Window. He did not win. He went the to the Super Bowl, Bowl, and he yeah, he was a rookie the year after that. He did win but one then with he Denver, went, and he went to another with Denver because they went to two. One they just got blown out by. He, he was uh, not. He wasn't there that year. They still had Eric Decker that season. Really, they didn't have all three of them one year. They had. Never, no. never mind. Never mind. He should be. He should be forgotten about and thrown into the pits of eternity. Never mind. Manuel <laughs> Sanders sucks. No, no, but uh, but also like you know he did it. You know he's been in New Orleans and uh, San Francisco. I, I just like Emmanuel Sanders. Like I think he's much more dynamic and he's one of the least talked about people of this generation yeah. but apparently i've been turning him into paul bunyan also so maybe there's a middle <laughs> ground somewhere where he's not been on every super bowl team ever but moral, uh, moral yeah. of the story julian edelman is not a hall of famer yeah for sure although i wonder i mean there is a chance he gets in just because tom brady i'm assuming has enough pull to just say he deserves to be in the hall of fame and then it'll happen but also i wonder if like how Antonio Brown would react if Emmanuel Sanders got in or not Emmanuel Sanders stuck in my brain. If Edelman got in and Antonio Brown didn't when Antonio Brown shouldn't uh, just because he what? tweeted, he tweeted all that crazy stuff about how the NFL's like the worst and all that stuff. Like I think part of it, ha- uh, part of the hall of fame has to be like <laughs> Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's one of the 10, if not five best receivers to ever play. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, yeah, the- we don't vote. In, we yeah, don't vote it, for the Hall. Yeah, that's it's not a it's not a democratic process. It is fifty people tell you whether you're in or not, yeah. and it has to be like a borderline unanimous, and you have to go through cuts. And if Bud Adams isn't in yet, who he should obviously be in, then 
I, I, I don't know. I, I think Antonio Brown's going to have to wait for years. You want to talk about receiver production? Go look at Antonio Brown's stats for his career on pro football reference. It's unbelievable what he's done. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was – It's insane. He and, and it's also crazy to think about what Le'Veon Bell used to be when he was in Pittsburgh too, and they never won a Super Bowl with those two in Big Ben when he was still a functioning human. Mm-hmm. All right. That is going to do it for us this week. We really appreciate Justin joining. We look forward to having him back on after the draft. We'll be back next week for uh, another week of draft coverage. We'll have two more weeks of that. And then it'll be time for the draft. So uh, stay tuned until next week. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.